Welcome to the Dacus Report, hosted by Pacific Justice Institute founder and president Brad Dacus. For 25 years, PJI has counseled, represented, and defended people whose religious freedoms, parental rights, or sanctity of life have been obstructed or violated, all free of charge. We leave no one behind and level the playing field for Americans as they are subjected to the tyranny of the powerful. Now, here's Brad Dacus. Welcome to the Dacus Report. Thank you for tuning in. I'm Brad Dacus, president of the Pacific Justice Institute. You know, we have a lot of cases taking place all across the United States. But you know, the state that is probably one of the busiest states in terms of litigation is the state of Washington in the northwestern part of the United States. Well, to help uh, talk about this uh, state and some of the cases we have ongoing there, I'd like to bring on our attorney uh, out of our Seattle office for PJI, uh, Harold Franklin. Harold, thank you for joining us uh, on this program. Well, thank you for having me, Brad. Yeah, now, Harold, you're, uh, you've been an attorney now for quite a, a number of years. You're an experienced litigator. You've taken on uh, lots of cases. So we're so delighted at PJI to have you as a part of our team of attorneys and heading up our office uh, work there in Seattle. It's very, very much appreciated. What are some of the cases that you're handling there in Washington? Well, primarily the ones that I've been handling are the the vaccine mandate cases. I have uh, quite a few of those against King County, um, quite a few against uh, Legacy Health, uh, quite a few against uh, a couple against the Port of Seattle, um, and they're kind of spread out. I think I have a few in Bellingham against the uh, Bellingham Police Department. And um, so they're kind of spread out all over the the, the I-5 corridor, but that's kind of what we're doing. But mostly it's predominantly uh, vaccine mandate cases. Yeah. You know, these cases uh, are all across the country. I know when we at Pacific Justice Institute uh, took on these cases, uh, that, uh, you know, we were so, uh, you know, focused on, you know, making sure everyone was getting help. So we've taken on these cases all across the country uh, to, you know, to, uh, to intervene and to, to ensure that, uh, that people were not, you know, left behind. But, you know, Washington State, we had an, an overflow of people seeking assistance there in Washington State and uh, people who were, had no place else to turn there you know, lose their jobs because of their sincerely held religious beliefs, because of their, their, their Christian faith. Uh, so how many cases have you seen thus far, just out of your office there in the Seattle area? Oh, boy. I think at this point, I probably have close to between 25 and 30 of them. Um, there was one case, well, actually a number of cases, I think it was nine in uh, Vancouver that was consolidated into one case. Um, it, it's not a class, but they consolidated it. Right. Um, so, okay. And so that that's, oh, excuse me. Yeah, go ahead. No, go ahead. I just... So no, I was going to say, so that's, that's probably the biggest one case that I have. Then there's a number of I think there's like 12 or 14 against King County, so that's 24. But and then there's like six or seven from other counties, so it's close to 30, maybe 35 at this point. Wow, that's that's a lot of a lot of cases, 
I know there's some construction work taking place in your building there. So if people are hearing some kind of a, sounds like a <laughs> sander or a, a saw or something, and they're wondering, is there something yeah. wrong with my, my uh, you know, cell phone or my TV or whatever, <laughs> relax, folks. It's just some yeah. construction work in the building, and there's some things we can control, some things we can't. But, uh, you know, we, we'd, yeah. rather, we'd rather be timely and, and have uh, interviews that are, are timely and are dealing with uh, real issues from the front. Mm-hmm. Uh, then uh, and deal with a little bit of uh, construction of the background and uh, just uh, have a generic narrative. So uh, I, I appreciate the patience of people listening. But um, you know you're you're doing uh, such great work there in uh, the Seattle area at Herald and uh, you know some of the these jobs that we're dealing with. I mean it's not just you know one kind of uh, employment it is is it? Uh, we're dealing with a, quite a wide variety. What are some of the different uh, jobs that um, are, are being impacted by these vaccine mandates that are purging people of faith from their employment. Yeah, like I said, we have so we have three police officers in Bellingham. Um, we have a, a number of bus drivers for King County, a number of uh, mechanics for King County. Um, we have some firefighters in. Uh, I think it's in Yakima. We have some teachers, or actually teacher assistants, uh, although their case has not been filed yet. But there were three teacher assistants in the uh, in one of the, the local school districts that were fired. Um, you have some accountants. You have engineers. You have a vehicle fleet maintenance people you have there's a sales manager i think she was a regional sales manager um and there's just uh yeah it, it goes the whole of the employment scale there's no they haven't picked on just one group they just kind of thrown everybody into the same pot and treated them the same way so yeah there's definitely a broad scope of employment uh skills and, and professions represented yeah it's it's very broad it's blue collar white collar um you know highly educated occupations uh for people that need to you know high levels of education other people with you know relatively low levels of education needed i mean it's just a a broad spectrum of of people that you're helping and i guess what they all have in common is they're all people with sincere religious beliefs convictions Right, not to take the vax, and I remember, I remember Harold. When we first started doing these cases, uh, you know, that was it. It was just, you know, religious convictions. They prayed about it. They felt convicted about it. Uh, we didn't have the studies, you know, showing that uh, there were some potentially long-term ramifications, whether it was uh, mitocarditis, uh, carditis with the, you know, the enlarged heart, or uh, you know, issues dealing with blood clotting or strokes. Uh, or neural uh, uh, neuro diseases, uh, you know, with people having paralysis on their face or other things. I mean, you know, at the time, it was just people, you know, just praying about it and following what they felt God wanted to do. Now, of course, there's all kinds of studies, statistics. I know one stat I was really concerned about, I heard recently, which was saying that there's been a 13,000% increase in mitocarditis with children from the ages of 12 to 19, 13,000% increase. These are kids that 
probably didn't need the vax. I mean, I don't think any of them need, need the vax personally, but uh, it is, it's so catastrophic. So we've got all these, the science and data now in addition to what we had originally, which was just sincere religious beliefs and convictions. You know, I, it seems that, that these employers would start to understand that they're on the losing side. Uh, have you seen many of them say, gosh, golly gee, we're wrong. Uh, hey, come on back to work. We, you know, we have no business requiring this vaccine considering uh, the, the dangers and the t- terrible statistics that are in, in, at play here. Well, what we have seen is they have come to the table and offered the employer, employees their jobs back. But in some cases, and, it's, and I'll just use the county specifically, um, they, even though they were giving them their jobs back, they were not giving them their, their, the same level of seniority back. So they were basically putting them back at the end of the line, even though they were giving them the, their, their jobs back. And so a lot of my clients said, no, that's that's not acceptable. I mean, I should, you know, it wasn't my fault that this happened and I shouldn't be punished. So they are making offers to bring them back, but they're not on always favorable terms. So the clients are kind of hesitating about taking those positions back. So there are definite advantages to being recognized for your tenure, obviously in the workplace in terms of your scheduling and, and things like that. So these employees, say they've been there for 25 years. You mean to tell me that they're being treated like they're just a newbie, a new hire? Uh, someone who, yeah. I mean, that's, that is an insult. That's a slap in the face to these people who have been so committed and loyal and devoted to be working for that that employer. Yeah, I mean that's and that's the big thing. A lot of them, a lot of the clients have said, "No, I'll, I'll never go back." Uh, not just because of the offer, but just because of what the way they were treated during the uh, the pandemic period. But yeah, I, I'm not sure if they're putting them at the at the very back of the line. All I know is, and I because I we didn't take any of the opportunities, so we don't know the details. But I know that that was one of the sticking points for the clients is that their seniority levels were not going to be given back to them. And um, so they were definitely not in favor of going back based on that. Yeah, I I can understand that. You know, what about uh, pension vesting in in, in that? uh, I mean, let's say they've they've been there for 25 years and 30 years of working there is, is, is for applicable for vesting employers haven't said you got to start over for purposes of pension and investing have they not to my knowledge again we didn't get into the thick details of it um it was just the seniority and i think that was a more of a union question so the unions although they're now you know initially i think most of the clients felt that the union had betrayed them and had not really fought for them. They just kind of took the line of the of the employer, and therefore, you know, they didn't really have an advocate. And that's kind of why we're in the middle of this. But now the union is kind of leading the charge of the hey, hey, they're they're calling us back, and we should go back. And yeah, you might lose a few things, but you know, you can have your job back. And 
isn't that what you want after all? And that's some of my clients are saying, not really, because some of them, you know, ended up getting better jobs. And some of them, uh, you know, some some of them have suffered on some of the benefits because some of the, you know, the government employees are, they get a lot more, uh, especially the health and the medical and the dental benefits are a little less expensive. Oh, um, yeah. But yeah, that's, that's true. Regardless I know. of that. Sorry. Excuse me, I'm sorry. Go, no, ahead. go ahead. You go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I shouldn't interrupt you. Go ahead. I, uh, that's okay. Regardless of that, they still don't feel that it's it's something that they can go back to. Yeah. I, I know that those working for the government, they do get very, very generous health care, you know, dental coverage, uh, really, really nice uh, coverage. Those who are public servants get wonderful, wonderful uh, benefits in that regard, as well as oftentimes more holidays and time off. Uh, so, you know, I, and, I, and I get that. But what we're talking about here is employees who simply, they just want to be compensated for the time that they should have been allowed to work. And I know many of them were denied uh, unemployment benefits. So the employers tried to say, oh, no, you don't qualify for unemployment benefits because we're going to treat your uh, objection to being vaxxed with this non-approved vaccine. So a lot of these people, you know, they had to choose between their convictions and being well, you know, able to pay their rent. I mean, they were even deprived of yeah, unemployment benefits, I understand, in many of these cases, right? They were. Um, not a lot of my clients were um, because they, I think most of them worded it as a non-disciplinary termination. Um, so, but there were some that had right. to fight and they had to fight, usually had to fight on an appeal. So they lost at the initial round with the, uh, here it's called employment security. And then they had to appeal it. And then they later on won some of the appeals or either that or the, uh, the employer capitulated and stopped fighting. So yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's tragic, but yet we're standing up for individuals who do not want to be controlled by the government much less have to compromise their faith. Uh, we're so glad to have you on our staff. Uh, Attorney Harold Franklin, keep up the great work. Did you know that PJI is the only legal defense nonprofit in America that serves state citizens by fighting state legislatures across the country to ensure unconstitutional or corrupt bills don't become unconstitutional or corrupt laws? That's right, for over 12 years, PJI's Center for Public Policy has generated success by standing firm in opposition to unconstitutional or immoral state bills, which makes it easier for our allies in the legislatures to kill these kinds of wrongheaded and even depraved pieces of legislation. Keep current on PJI's work on all the legal challenges we face on a daily basis, including our work through our Center for Public Policy, by signing up for our Legal Insider email newsletter at pji.org. Now, back to the Dacus Report. Uh, welcome back. You know, you may be out there and hearing these, these stories, these reports, and think, well, that, that applies to me. You may be thinking, yeah, I, I was fired wrongfully, or I had sincere convictions, or I was harassed in the workplace because of my faith. Or maybe it's something else. Maybe it's dealing with your church, having problems with government oppression, or maybe it's uh, your parent, you rights as a parent, and you want to protect your child, and there's outrageous 
sick, demented things coming into your public school, uh, we stand by to serve you and to help you without charge. Uh, just go to pji.org, P for Pacific, J for Justice, I for Institute, dot O-R-G. Uh, we're here to serve you, so don't hesitate to ever contact us. Uh, we're, uh, we're more than happy to, uh, to serve you. We, once again, we do it completely without charge. Well, to, to talk to one of our attorneys that's very actively en- engaged in uh, serving people, and particularly people of faith, I'd like to bring on to the show now our Florida office attorney for PJI, attorney uh, Alexander Bumbu. Alexander, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me back on the show, Brad. It's nice to see. Nice, nice to be back. Well, it's always it's always a pleasure having you back. You're one busy guy down there in Florida, aren't I you? I am. Lots of stuff going on yeah. down here. <laughs> yeah, you know, many people think that you know Florida, you know, that's that's a solid red state. They've got a you know a governor signing great bills into law and just uh, great legislators. But it's, it's not so rosy when I look at all the cases that uh, you're taking on. You've got quite a few. Uh, um, I understand like today we're going to, I guess, talk about three different categories of, of issues that you're, you're dealing with, right? Well, these are things that are happening in Florida and in Virginia. And um, this is the, these are things that our states are dealing with and our governors are dealing with and stuff. So, Yes. Yeah. Okay. Well, Florida enacted a near uh, total ban against abortions after 15 weeks of gestation. Uh, and then Planned Parenthood came in and they filed their lawsuit to, you know, to challenge it. And, uh, and other pro-abortionists were also challenging it. Uh, can you tell us some more about that and the status of that litigation? Yeah. So last year, Governor Ron DeSantis uh, signed a bill into law which prohibits most abortions in Florida. Um, it caps, well, it, it prohibits abortions after 15 weeks of gestation. It has a couple of exceptions, you know, for maternal health and for fatal fetal abnormalities. But the abortionists are challenging the law, claiming that it violates the privacy clause of the Florida Constitution. And the most recent update is that last month, the Florida Supreme Court heard oral argument in this case. Okay. So they heard oral argument. Um, you know, how do you think the court's going to rule? I think that the court is going to uphold the statute for at least four reasons. Um, you know, the first reason, reason is that the Florida Supreme Court has a well-earned reputation as being one of the most conservative state Supreme Courts in the country. So there's a perceived six-to-one conservative majority on the court. And I know that a justice's political leanings don't always dictate how that justice is going to rule in a particular case, but I think this is a very good uh, Supreme Court to have for us pro-lifers, considering that maybe 10 years ago it was pretty left-wing. Yeah, we already had the U.S. Supreme Court uh, you know, strike down Roe versus Wade, send it back to the states. Uh, we've seen a lot of states uh, you know, pass solid pro-life legislation humanitarian uh, legislation protecting uh, pre-born babies from being murdered uh, you know, before they're born and be given a chance to be born. Um, you know, many people were concerned that Florida was sort of problematic uh, because of the fact of uh, prior case law or you know, case precedent. But 
uh, the fact that the, their Supreme Court there in the state of Florida has shifted so dramatically. I mean, we're, we're looking here at, you know, six to one conservative majority. And these are people who respect the original intent of the Florida Constitution. I know I'm, I'm somewhat optimistic. What's the second, um, second reason, the second factor here to, of why you're optimistic in, uh, involved with this, in involving this uh, litigation? The Florida Supreme Court allowed the law to be enforced while this case is pending. It rejected the abortionist's request for an injunction. So this law was enforced. It's been enforced ever since um, several months ago. And now it's finally gotten to the stage of oral argument before the Florida Supreme Court. It's still being enforced while it's being challenged. That's good. That's a good sign. Yeah, that, that is a very good sign. I, you know, Generally, it's often an indicator of where they're going to end up. The, you know, if, if they were likely going to, to strike it down, they would have said, whoa, whoa, um, no, let's, let's stay the enforcement of this, of this statute. But they didn't, and the fact that they didn't, I think that's very powerful. It's not a guarantee, but it's, it's very powerful and very uh, encouraging. Uh, the third reason you're optimistic, I think, has to do with a, a strong constitutional argument uh, by the state. What, what is that? Yes. So, like I said before, the abortionists are suing under the privacy clause of the Florida Constitution. Unlike the U.S. Constitution, the Florida Constitution has an explicit privacy clause. Unfortunately, in 1989, the Florida Supreme Court ruled that the privacy clause protects a right to abortion. In 1989, Florida had its own state-level Roe v. Wade. But in this case, the state of Florida is openly asking the court to overrule that 1989 precedent and hold that the privacy clause does not protect abortion, much like Mississippi asked, uh, asked the U.S. Supreme Court to overrule Roe v. Wade. So that's, that's uh, you know, puts a, a very, makes the case seem very strong as far as that goes. Oftentimes when we hear privacy, we often think, oh, that's going to be pro-abortion. Mm -hmm. But uh, it sounds like if they just look at the actual, you know, the language and the case law and the precedent of the matter, um, it seems like it would, uh, you know, not be the, uh, you know, the knockout punch that those on the left would, would like it to be. In fact, couldn't you argue that the, the privacy right actually, uh, you know, if it protects someone's, you know, own body, it would also then therefore protect the preborn? from being stabbed and killed and having their limbs torn off? I mean, it seems like privacy, what's good for the goose is good for the gander. It seems like it would argue apply to the pre-born as well. Yes, arguably it could. I mean, it's, well, to, it's possible that the Florida Supreme Court could rule that the privacy clause protects bodily privacy. Privacy does not extend to killing a pre-born child. And so, in a way, the, the, court could, the court could split the baby, no pun intended there, but the court could split the baby and say, there's, there's some kind of bodily privacy, but that does not extend to abortion. That, I think, is the more philosophical and more moral reason why I think the Florida Supreme Court uh, will uh, uphold the statute. Um, I did get a little bit ahead of myself, which is... Um, one of the things that the state of Florida is arguing is that the privacy clause does not protect bodily privacy in the first place. That the original intent of the privacy clause was limited to protecting people's informational pri uh, privacy over their documents.
Um, the state claims that the privacy clause does not even mention abortion, which is true, and that the privacy clause was enacted in response to governmental snooping into people's documents, into their homes, and into their communications around the 1970s. So it was a reaction to what was happening in the 1970s. So people wanted informational privacy over their documents. And one of the key, well, the, the text of the privacy clause actually supports this reading. It's a very short clause. It's only two sentences long. I'm not going to bore you, but it says, uh, every natural person has the right to be let alone and free from governmental intrusion into the person's private life, except as otherwise provided herein. This section shall not be construed to limit the public's right of access to public records and meetings as provided by law, end quote. I will tell you, Alex, you're doing a great job. Uh, you've, I appreciate the, the work that you're doing there in Florida, as well as uh, there in Virginia and, the, and the, uh, the efforts you're making to making sure that parents' rights um, are not left on the side of the road, at least not when you're there, and uh, keep up the great work. Thank you, Brad. We would love the opportunity to continue to serve you. Just visit pji.org and click the Legal Insider button to sign up for our email newsletter. At PJI, we help individual employees, employers, business owners, pastors, students, citizens of every stripe through our practical resources, counsel, representation, and defense, all free of charge at pji.org. PJI is an island of stability and assurance in our ever-churning sea of legal and societal chaos. We are here for you. So folks, just remember, it's our God-given freedoms we're talking about. Now, let's choose to keep them. I'm Brad Dacus, president of the Pacific Justice Institute. Let's continue the fight for your freedoms.